This is the Child Discipleship Podcast powered by Awana. My name is Ross Cochran. You know who you are. Thank you for listening. Today's guest is Grant Skeldon. Grant is the Next Gen Director at Think Media. Grant, welcome to the podcast, sir. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, bro. Of course, man. Now, I want to start. You're the Next Gen Director. And what does Next Gen even mean? This is a group of people that when folks have a conversation like what we're about to have, so many people get it wrong. So when we say next gen, who are the people that we're even referring yeah, to? Yeah, it really is three generations right now. Uh, the millennial generation or Gen Y. Uh, there is the Gen Z generation, which is getting a lot of the attention right now. And then there is Gen Alpha, which probably will be what we talk about a lot more in the next five, seven years. I do think and appreciate that you guys are already prioritizing that group. Um, I always said about millennials, uh, you know, the, the, I feel like the two things, at least negatively, that was always associated with millennials was skinny jeans and participation yeah. trophies. I, I don't uh-huh. know why those kind of rose to the top for them. And uh, it, some people would like, I think, maybe think, oh, let's get skinny jeans or let's change the way we dress. I do think they introduced, uh, hey, this idea of trying to be cool and have fashion and engage culture uh, and love Jesus. And uh, whether that's right or wrong, I, I basically have found there's like a 20-year window uh, statistically that we keep putting to each generation. And we could put a lot of stock into those little, like I think, secondary things on how to reach them. Or uh, just like you guys with discipleship, I personally think uh, that's the timeless practice that's going to work on every generation is uh, how do we pour into a generation who pours into the next generation? Yeah, because something that stands out to me about your ministry and particularly you as a communicator is you talk about each of these generations in unique ways, acknowledging mm-hmm. the ways that they're different rather than talking about all Gen Zs like they're the same. And I think that's really important because yeah. so many folks speak in broad terms or group people together in a way that winds up not being helpful. Why is it so important for you to speak about the three different groups that you've already unpacked for us with this level of nuance, with this level of clarity in how we talk about them as people, but also how we talk about their discipleship? Yeah. With clarity, uh, I think the biggest reason why it's important to talk about the next generation with clarity and even distinction and nuance is because it's going to be very, very hard to reach them and engage them uh, well if we do lump them all together. Like I, we could speak to millennials, again, a couple of associations with millennials, uh, skinny jeans, participation trophies, uh, eco-friendly, uh, kind of like all about tech. I mean, if you Google the word millennials. And if you Google the word Gen Z, I do not know why this is the case, but you'll see a lot of pictures of kids on their phones. Uh, and I get that. I get that actually. What, it's, uh, what I don't get is it's almost always diverse kids on their phone, standing shoulder to shoulder with each other, just looking at their phone, smiling or often with a brick wall behind them. So it's like, that's the perception of that generation. But there's a lot of young people that are anti-tech and that might be a small portion, but uh, there was an organization, I think it's the Boston, I'll I'll find the exact source, but I really love that they, they 
categorize at least millennials in six different categories. I'm not going to remember all of them right here, but I remember there was one that was like the anti-tech person. There was the millennial mom. And that's the mom that isn't waiting to get married. Uh, they want to get married. They want to have kids. Uh, there was the hipster millennial, which got, I think, a lot of the attention, uh, the skinny jeans uh, comments that would come. Uh, there was uh, the kind of anti, uh, it was kind of like the hardworking millennial that did want money because a lot of the idea and studies showed that millennials uh, cared more about making a difference or having a significant role in their job that made an impact in the world than making money. Like Business Journal found that 52% of young people said they would take, the wording was a drastic pay cut in order to have a job that made a difference. And so that's very different than boomers, especially who were coming out of uh, the Great Depression with the, when they were getting raised. So that makes sense to have a desire and drive of, I want to provide something better for my for myself and especially for my family. Uh, but to, there is a distinction there that they are driven that way. So there, however, was a lot of young people, at least they kind of did a study to find out this percentage of millennials are though still driving, driven by money. They're, think of Gary Vee or I think of the entrepreneurial uh, work in nature that came out of young people where even today, I think Gen Z even more has continued this to where that many of them have a side hustle. And so anyway, I just think if you're acting like all of them are lazy and don't graduate college, don't want to get married, all wear skinny jeans, all care about the environment, um, that's just not going to resonate because that might be a good portion of young people but it's not, it's not all of them. And so you're almost going to offend them even in your uh, way of talking about them, engaging them. But mostly you're not going to be engaging the deeper needs of what they're looking for. And I think that's what Jesus did really well is he kind of was able to represent the gospel in a way that resonated to what they were, they were looking for and searching for or thought that they needed. I couldn't agree more. And one of the things that I love about the work that Awana does is – I see that we're able to lay this foundation. One of the, the things that has been bouncing around Awana so much, particularly lately, is this idea that a person's worldview is shaped by the age of 13. We yeah. have this perception, and sometimes it's a very named, very explicit perception, but it is often a somewhat implicit or subconscious, which is if you're trying to disciple someone, you probably have until they're 18. You probably have until they're in high school and then they go off to college. And if then, you know, something has to happen. Obviously, God can do amazing things. I'm a product of that. I wasn't a Christ follower until I was in college. But what time and time again, with study after study, what George Barna came on this podcast and talked about is worldview is shaped by the age of 13. Mm -hmm. You are seeing leaders in all walks of life, folks who are older than the, the kids that, you know, we're partnering with leaders who are serving these kids, how are you seeing this idea of biblical worldview play out with those leaders that you're serving? In other words, when we think about the fact that worldview is shaped by the age of 13 and the collective consciousness thinks it might be later than that, how are you trying to communicate the urgency of discipleship for Generation Alpha, let's say? I think... Two things come to mind is one, you know, people often ask, is each generation getting worse and worse? Is each generation different? Uh, I think it's been shown that there's so many covers of magazine and studies on boomers that you 
could clip out of those magazines and then read today. And they sound like 20 somethings and teenagers from today. Uh, same thing for Xers. Like, uh, there's like time magazines that said, Hey, it's the me generation now. And it's talking about boomers. And so, uh, I would go so far to say that I don't know if young people are changing as much as I would especially say culture is changing. And when you don't disciple the next generation, which generally we don't like, uh, I think it, Barna found that about 17% of Christians could say that they had a clear, committed relationship with someone younger in the faith that they were pouring into. Uh, so if only 17% of Christians are doing what Jesus dedicated almost 100% of his ministry to, if discipling uh, individuals, for him several, um, then I think well, we are deciding not to disciple the next generation, basically. Sometimes we hope that the church is doing it for us, uh, which I don't think is the right approach. I think uh, you guys are the best. They like discipleship happens in the home first. Um, but if, yeah, if we're not discipling them, we're hoping the church is discipling them. Most young people don't go to church. Then we're basically saying we're going to let the world disciple them. And the world has changed a lot in the last couple of decades. So I don't think the next generation has changed a lot. I think young single people tend to be a little lazier, a little, uh, you got to get them driven. I think they tend to be like, they have the biggest ability to be is, uh, these things. And I'm not saying all of them. I'm just saying, uh, when you're young, you're single and you're, especially you're a teenager, there's probably just a way of life because you don't have the experience, the pain, the wisdom, uh, the, the, the responsibilities, uh, yet. I, I know there was a men's ministry leader named Ed Cole who said something to the effect of, uh, maturity doesn't come by age, but it comes by acceptance of responsibility. And there's a type of uh, responsibility, in it, which then bursts maturity that comes for any young person who has a, gets married and has to start sacrificing themselves for their spouse and can't consider everything they want first. Uh, I've heard Matt Chandler say, a pastor in Dallas, say that marriage is the left lane of sanctification. And as a man who's been now almost three years married, I know what kind of what he's talking about. There's there's a way that uh, I have to to run things by my wife. There's a way that I need to serve my wife. Uh, I can't just make plans because it's no longer my life alone. It's us. And I now uh, I can't imagine with kids. It's it's uh, at least with a spouse. You're hoping there's a little bit of fifty fifty. You give some, I give some. Like we serve each other. With kids, uh, it seems like um, I got two kids. My brother lives with me and his niece and uh, my niece and nephew. And uh, uh, I, I can't expect, uh, hey, if you do this, then I'll do this. I'm like, hey, well, you're not giving 100% to this relationship. They they need me. And so that's that's maturing me. I'm probably feeling it's why so many pastors, I think, use parenting illustrations <laughs> when talking about God. Sure is because they finally start to see what it's like to have such a sometimes transactional relationship or not even that, like a, I'm the one receiving and I'm going to you just to ask for things. And you start feeling like, man, this is what God feels mm -hmm. like with me and uh, all the time as an adult, even still today. And so uh, I, I don't think, again, the next generation is changing as much. I think there's a way that they are until older people pour into them. But if we let the culture disciple them, uh, we're going to see a very, very uh, difficult and dark generation, I believe. Yeah. Darren Whitehead, a pastor out of Tennessee, introduced at least me and his church context to this idea of counterformation. 
and he would talk about it as this idea that he's in the business of counterformation. He begins with the assumption that someone who's coming into his church is actually being formed better by the world or by culture or again, whatever handle you want to assign than yeah. what the church is doing. And I think what's important in that conversation is, and you're articulating this, is it's not a, we're not saying that in, in a, an alarmist way. We're not saying that because as a scare tactic, we're saying that in a data-driven argument and the conversation that Grant and I are much more interested in is what we do about it. And you, in your ministry context, you are seeing folks who are excelling in leadership. You are seeing folks who are able to make really, you know, kingdom impact. And you're seeing folks who are just beginning their lives in, as adulthoods. And, you know, you're, you're seeing such a wide gamut. You said earlier, you know, talking about uh, older millennials in the early 40s all the way down uh, to Generation Alpha. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that's interesting to me about that, you know, around here, we use this phrase, loving, caring adults. You are a loving, caring adult to your niece and nephew because you're invested in their life um, and invested in their discipleship. And we did this project with in partnership with the Barna Group called Children's Ministry in a New Reality that came out last year. And folks at Awana who are listening to this, they're going to be, they're going to roll their eyes at me at how poorly I'm summarizing the data. But people can pick it up in the show notes to read the specifics. But what was clear is the presence of one loving, caring adult in the life of a child it could be a teacher, a coach, an uncle makes a tremendous difference in spiritual and non-spiritual outcomes for that child. Yeah. And too often, especially in today's generation of parenting, we are, making it so easy for our kids to be isolated. You know, it has never been easier for folks to think they have life to the full in a John 10, 10 sense and to not have it. And one of the things that I'm curious about is how have you seen in your ministry context, the power of a loving, caring adult play out? You know, you talked about it earlier in the context of your own story. But I would imagine you're seeing the difference that that makes across the board, both positively when it's there, but also negatively when it's not. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, I can only reverse engineer. I'm not a parent, but I, I can reverse engineer in a way that I think many can't. And that is that I get the privilege through think to do retreats uh, and gatherings for some of the most high capacity, diverse young Christian leaders across the nation. And most of them aren't ministry leaders or pastors. Most of them are speakers, authors, musicians, nonprofit leaders, uh, pro and Olympic athletes, actors. Uh, it's amazing so much that God is doing in these different industries. And uh, we do a lot of retreats. In November, we'll do our first Next Gen Summit, which will be uh, gathering all these leaders, about a thousand of them, to pour into them. And I say all that to say what I've started to do the last year or two is try to reverse engineer a new question uh, to the, what I think is the old, outdated, and just wrong question. Uh, and the old question, that the common question we've asked for almost for 30 years now, if not more, is how do we reach the next generation? And especially we're asking, why is the next generation leaving the church? 
Uh, and I just think that we've done a lot of studies on why they're leaving. And we've done some studies, like you just mentioned, uh, which I think is way better question. It's way more helpful is why do some stay in church? Uh, but I, I kind of been thinking, how do we leave getting the answers to why they're leaving and start even going beyond why they stay and figure out uh, with me, with these leaders, I'm like, if so many young people are leaving the church, I want to find out why did these people become, instead of leaving, they're leading. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. We're talking days now, not months till we kick off the third annual Child Discipleship Forum, September 21st and 22nd in Nashville. West Coast, East Coast, Deep South, Up North listeners, you don't need a plane ticket. Register your team now and join us online. We've tailored both days so you'll get a full learning experience and interactive participation with online guests across the country. But if you do live within a few hours of Nashville, you gotta get here. Just hop in the car, bring a friend, or fly solo if you can't coordinate schedules. We've got a few seats left, so register today at childdiscipleshipforum.com. You'll soak in two days with Bible-minded thought leaders, authors, and artists, plus hundreds of ministry leaders to connect with over the challenges and joys of shaping children's faith in this culture. These are the most intentional child discipleship conversations you'll have all year. So don't miss out the 21st and 22nd of this month. Sign up at childdiscipleshipforum.com. I didn't get compelled to go into ministry so I can just get people to stay in church. I want them to change the world. I want them to go and make disciples and make disciples and to change any type of environment they're in. Uh, There's three things that kind of stand out that I've noticed comes up a lot. Uh, One is, it's an interesting one, is I've noticed a consistency of high capacity young leaders having parents that ask for forgiveness often when they were growing up. Uh, So I, I just, it's not like I'm leading them to something. I just ask, what are things that they did that really meant a lot to you? And these are especially young people who would attribute uh, major contributions to their faith to their parents. Because there's a lot of high capacity young leaders that would say, my parents actually were not the most helpful in my faith or in my leadership, or they were a hindrance even. Um, but these are kids that would say, God used my parents in major ways. And one of the biggest things they did that meant a lot to me is, as a young person, they would actually get things wrong, own it, and ask for forgiveness. Uh, it's interesting how many young people, though, would say their parents never did that. And, when, and those tend to be the parents uh, of kids that would say, my parents didn't impact my faith. I, I think there's something about that that can almost teach your kids, if discipleship is caught more than it's taught, kind of teaches your kids that uh, you almost have to be fake at church. And I think there's a big pendulum swing for the next generation that's like gone the opposite direction where it's like ah i grew up having to be fake around these people i want to be where i can be accepted and loved for whatever i do whatever i am and uh they wear their heart on their sleeve it's like they're they're posting basically like it's their diary um, and they're posting the whole world and so uh, i think there's a big reason why they're going that direction and so if you have parents though that would ask for forgiveness when no one else sees it and no one else is looking you're just in the home it just kind of proves to the kid, at least, whether they believe or not, they got to say, 
hey, I might not believe in God, but my mom and dad, like they feel the presence of the Holy Spirit convicting them to own this and to apologize and not just say, I'm sorry, but say to a kid, will you forgive me? There is something powerful about that. And it's a great role model to kids to be able to say, I can't own my wrongs. I can mess up. And I can even then seek and reconcile and ask for forgiveness. So that's one. Two, um, I've noticed a consistency of answers of young people saying, um, my, my parents, they would sacrifice so often. And I would, I would use the phrase uh, that I would kind of attribute to it is they would inconvenience themselves for the gospel. Uh, I've just seen a lot of stories of like we would host people all the time. We would have people over. My parents were like people that people in the church who were in pain or hurting or needed money would go to. And my dad would always help. And my mom was always sitting with people or the people lived with us at times. Like we would just give a lot away, but they would sacrifice even to the point of being, I could tell they sometimes didn't want to, but they know they, sh- they needed, they, they should. And they were called to, and uh, there's just something again, that it's like, this isn't just a show at church on Sunday. This is a lifestyle of looking like living like him and trying to love like Jesus and then the third one, probably the most controversial one, probably the most uh, we can edit it out if you think I'll get canceled, is um, I think, especially for the younger generation right now, our parents, I'm concerned about them continuing this even worse, is I think that gentle parenting, at least at least say too gentle parenting, that there's a potential for us to save kids from the Savior and I think maybe there was a generation before that was like pretty hard and, and strict. And uh, a lot of millennials grew up with parents that are just that would hear, um, Hey, why do I need to do this mom? Or why do I need to do this? He's like, cause I said so. So like no direction, just, just do what I say. Uh, so I'm like, Hey, rub some dirt on it. Just get over it. And uh, I just, yeah, I believe that, a generation often we whenever we're pendulum shifting to the whole other side that we're missing something and there's now a parenting that's like i'm going to save my kid because they're in this situation or there's this challenge or i'm going to talk to the principal for you or i'm going to talk to the uh, teacher for you or i'm going to uh, even talk to this interview like there's stories of this generation bringing their parents to interviews that it's just this good intentioned hope to save our kids uh, from anything that could be challenging or anything that's the consequences of their wrong decisions rather than uh, saying, hey, this, I'm going to let them feel the consequences of this and uh, especially let them fail safely. Like this is one of the best times to fail or even feel pain. And I'm not saying force into, I'm just saying that in life comes pain. And um, I think of the verse, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Because God is with me, his, his rod and his staff, they comfort me. It's like in the valley that we've learned how to fear no evil. And it says, because God is with me. And I think when we swoop in, we save them from the Savior. Because some of our most sanctifying times, some of our closest times to God is often when we are in the valley. And we desperately need him. We read the word in a different way. We pray in a different way. We feel his presence in a different way. And so we all have times and seasons of our life that was like that, that we could say that was one of the closest times to God, also one of the hardest times of my life. And I would never really say I want to go back to that season, but also I would never say that I want to erase that season. So we we have this unique value for it. And if we're robbing our kids from those seasons themselves, 
then we're robbing them of some of the most maturing and uh, building of reliance on God rather than themselves times. And so we might read that verse, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for God is with me. His, his rod and his staff comfort me. I jokingly would say it's even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, no worries because mom will save me. Her purse or her second chances, they'll comfort me. And we start relying and or just never feeling the, the, the weight of our choices and the weight of consequences when we don't choose wisely. Goodness gracious, man. Whew, okay. There is so much amazing stuff there. And frankly, so just so little time. Um, okay. So listen, man, there's, there's something that I want to hit though that you unpacked specifically. You mentioned earlier one of the things that you get to do with Think Media. And by the way, for those of you who want to learn more about Grant, in, in the show notes, uh, you can check out Think Media, which you can see more about his work. And if you want to check out Grant as a speaker, you can check out Grant's website. Both of those are linked in the show notes wherever you're listening. And I would highly encourage you to do so. Um, you can also learn more about Grant's book, which I'll ask him about in a second. But you know, here at Awana, we talk about child discipleship in this in this framework of three Bs. We talk about it as belong, highly relational ministry. We talk about it as believe, deeply scriptural ministry, and become highly experience, highly experiential ministry. Mm-hmm. And specifically with child discipleship, too often become kind of gets shortchanged, right? We, we're not letting kids step up like they should. We treat them as sort of there's this like junior version of the Holy Spirit, which is antithetical to the gospel. And I would imagine, especially in those retreat settings, you're interacting with folks who are thriving because they've experienced those types of opportunities to step up. Yeah. What I'm curious about is when you think about this discipleship process, particularly in some of that framework that you just unpacked, what does it look like for us to keep the the long game of discipleship in mind when there is so much weight on kind of this go, go, go uh, intensity on us for all of these generations? Because the 3B discipleship process requires us to take our time and both of those, both of that work can be really, really hard. Yeah. Yeah. I do think to do a certain form of discipleship, uh, especially like a presence and uh, checking in on, you do need to slow down. But I think, uh, let's say anyone who's like, I love the next gen. I wish I could do more. Uh, I have a huge heart for them, but I'm just so busy. And uh, I do think, yeah, anyone who has kids is a full-time job uh, and is married is busy. It's just, that's not even that. That's like a lot of Americans, uh, full-time job has kids and, uh, has, is married. You just, you, every time you did one of those decided to do one of those, you decided to have less time. That's why young singles, I challenge them the most. You have what the older generation doesn't have. And you only have this short window, young single adults. Uh, I was like, you, this is a window of time. You'll only have for a very short time and you'll wish you used it wiser. Once you get older, I promise is you don't have to ask your parents for permission and you don't have to ask your spouse for permission. 
you could just go and do things. And I hope that you're making the best use of the time for the days are evil. And I hope that you're like teaching, asking God to teach you to number your days because that time is like, I think why Jesus went after what seems to be a lot of young single, uh, young singles is that they had time. And uh, I would say that again, the person who's like, but I'm just so busy is like, good. Actually, the way I would format discipleship is you don't have any excuses. You actually have all the ammunition you need to disciple someone, uh, whether you are married, have kids and a full-time job is because I think we really are mistaking discipleship uh, for mentorship. And I would distinguish mentorship as if Jesus went to Peter and said, come and meet with me. Uh, and they went to other disciples and said, come and meet with me. But he didn't say, come and meet with me. He said, come and follow me. I think meeting someone, uh, we've all often had someone older in our life who we met with one time or many times who highly impacted our lives. However, uh, I would believe that even more robust than mentorship is discipleship. Uh, there's a common phrase with discipleship of that kind where they say discipleship is caught more than it's taught. And again, both are good. Both are very powerful. I have had a meeting just even once with someone where I was like, hey, I'm a newlywed. And can we meet with you just to ask questions? And they reframed how I saw marriage or people have in a meeting uh, reframed how I've seen God, reframed how I've seen myself or my mission. And so very powerful to be mentored. The problem is it requires time. It requires one more time added to your calendar weekly maybe monthly, maybe quarterly. And so if you don't have time, yeah, you have to slow down to mentor someone. I don't think you have to slow down as much to disciple someone. You do need to be vulnerable and be okay with people seeing into your life. You do need to be intentional to to give access to your calendar. But uh, again, if mentorship is meet with me, discipleship is come and follow me, then you don't have to move your time or your calendar around young people you need to find young people. And if they're not willing to move their time around yours, then just like the rich young ruler, Jesus didn't just get everyone. Like I always say that could have been the 13th disciple. Like not everybody, in fact, most did not get asked to follow him after Jesus had an interaction with them. Often it was go and sin no more, or he would do a miracle and say, don't tell anyone or to the legion, the man with legion inside, he said, hey, he actually asked, can I go with you? And Jesus said, no, go home. And so this 13th disciple, I believe, could have been rich young ruler said, hey, sell everything you have and come and follow me. And he didn't want to or he didn't want to move his life around Jesus. He didn't want to listen to Jesus. He didn't trust him at least enough to say, I trust you more than I trust myself. And so I don't think every young person is ready to be discipled, but I think there's a lot more young people that are, uh, if you would invite them in and say, hey, I want to, I want to either, you could maybe pour into them and mentor them if you have the time. But if you don't, I would say, consider the the arenas of your life that they could join. Uh, I distinguish in my book, The Passion Generation, uh, you got your family life, you got your personal life, you got your work life, you got your church life. Um, can they come into one of those arenas? Your personal life is maybe one of the most fun and easy ways to start what is it that you like to do? Invite someone young to do that thing with you. If you are, have joined the revival of pickleball in the last couple of years, invite someone to join pickleball with you. Never uh, underestimate the power of just inviting someone even in your family life as simple as meals with you. Uh, I think that I was very fortunate to see 
a godly man uh, who did discipleship like this with me, uh, a guy named Kevin, uh, when I was 16 years old. He said, I want to pour into you, I want to disciple you. I only met with that man in a year and a half, twice, at an IHOP, twice. Other than that, I was with him almost every week, and I went with him to a lot of things. And seeing what he was like with his kids and seeing what he was like with his wife is what, honestly, I, I never... He never taught me a sermon in that time, but I just seeing it, I took mental notes and said, I want to be a husband like that one day, and I want to be a father like that one day, and I want to be just a man of God like that one day. And so again, it's caught more than it's taught, but I never would have saw that if I just met 101 with them. Um, and so there's there's power in both. It's just so robust if you do what Jesus said and say, hey, come and follow me and let me give you access to my life. Uh, I was ultimately changed huge ways because of that. The Child Discipleship Podcast is powered by Awana. Thanks to the donations of generous folks like you, Awana partners with 62,000 churches in 130 countries to make resilient disciples. When you give to Awana, you are investing in lasting faith. Young people who will engage the culture with the gospel and fearlessly lead the church into the future. To make a donation to this mission, go to awana.org slash donate. Subscribe to the podcast today so you never miss an episode and check out the show notes of today's episode for relevant links from this conversation, as well as information about other podcasts from Awana. The podcast is produced and hosted by me, Ross Cochran. Our theme song is Fresh Air by Christian hip hop artist Josiah Williams and Hits by Jude. You also heard All Let Go, provided by Josiah Williams from his album Rerouting 2. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Music